0: I think Summer stepped out, but um, she has been such a um, comrade, support. Um, All of our our kids, children that are close to her, they love her. She has this, you know, um, we have have several, several, several women, mothers, young and old, that um, they have such a touch with our kids, and uh, it matters so much. Um, this is what, uh, creates that safe place and that community where, um, our kids have more than just mom and dad to go to that they, and, um, in time when they start out young being connected, as they get into their teenage years and don't want to talk to mom and dad that much, they'll go to these women. And uh, Diane's been that to so many of our young girls over the years, and all the different mother figures we have. And uh, Summer's overcome a lot of things that she's come into this place of just ministry and joy, and uh, being able to worship, and uh, never give up on someone. And in the days of the tent, she would come. She was in college totally capable and so depressed. And I'd watch her just sit there week after week. She'd come back from college and she was not in a good place. And just through relationships and friendships, uh, she came over, she came out of that and she overcame a lot of real serious things that happened in her family. And uh, she's an overcomer. And when we sing, she sings that song. um, um, What's the name of it? Out of that. What's that? No, no, the one we did today. What's that? No, that one too. That one too. The The second. I think we did the second time. The back to life. Yes. And the enemy thought he had me, but Jesus said, "You are mine." She's a living testimony to that. Most of you don't know that much about her story, but uh, wow. <laughs> so many of you have a similar story. Not too many people know what the Lord actually saved you from, uh, but you know, and a couple of people you're close to, and uh, wow, he's been faithful to us. And if you'll just wait on the Lord, just hang on there, hang in there, find your place to be, even if it doesn't look pretty. And, and stay and, and be faithful to that and um, the Lord will not disappoint. I hit this subject some in my comfort text this week um, and so I'm going to go back over those scriptures and uh, it's, this, uh, it's just a simple subject of overcoming disappointment. And um, we see many of things in life, especially as Christians, as textbook and we fall into this thing we've got to be careful with. Um, there, the Lord does want to prosper you and bless you. But this thing is that as soon as things go wrong, you're sure you've done something wrong or you're a victim. One way or the other, it's all the same. You fall into that thing and it becomes a very big voice and very powerful thing. And uh, the worst, the biggest disappointments come after you try. You try to do it right. I'll hear this so often. People, you know, I was I was, doing it right. Like I'm blown away. What, how did this happen? I was doing this right and that right and, and, and making right decisions. And this obstacle still shows up. This devastation still shows up. And um, when it comes to faith and our whole Christian walk, if you don't get some... Teeth, some aggression to your spirit, you're going to get run over. Uh, meaning well and hoping in good things, but you've got to get that uh, attitude about you like uh, the five year old. I have a five year old grandson, so that's a great illustration. You know. And when they decide something's theirs, they don't sit around waiting for protocol, They'll, They're it's theirs, and they're going to run over everybody in the way, a little sister, whoever, friends, doesn't matter, mom, dad, anybody, you know, they just like, they've decided this is theirs, and it's mine, and I'll be like, that's not yours, that is mine, <laughs> like, you have to admire the attitude of, of this is mine, and when it comes to your inheritance in the Lord and your calling and, and, and promises the Lord has made to you, you've got to get some teeth. You've got to get some, you know, fight in you because the enemy hates you and you will be um, obstructed at every turn. And the, and the most powerful thing is when you start to doubt yourself when somehow that thing where you believed in God and believed in yourself it gets shifted and that eye turns on you and there's something wrong with you or you know something outward or something and it doesn't matter it's all still the same it still will paralyze you stop you from moving and uh it it has to do with delayed answers mess us up or stubborn mountains. And I, I just kind of got this clear thing I shared uh, on I must have been Thursday about speak to this mountain. If you say speak to this mountain, till it's not get up, be cast into the sea. It will you know it will obey you if you believe. And it goes on to say you know about your pers- your persevering um, faith. Let's turn to Mark chapter eleven and that thing where you come to where you believe. You believe you when somebody says you're needed. Everybody growing up, especially in those crucial teenage years, has someone look at you and just say, you honestly are not worth a crap. And you're honestly not going to ever amount to anything. And maybe it was uh, uh, appropriate, maybe it wasn't. But it's still the same lie, and it gets expressed, and you hear those words. Or they'll come at different, different key times in your life. It's really hard. That voice just seems so, uh, so real. It's hard to call it a lie. It's hard to fight it because you come into agreement with it. You go, know, yeah, yeah, it's true. And then if something comes up about something you failed in, then it really gets reinforced. In Matthew 11, um, 22 through 24... Jesus replied, let the faith of God be in you. Listen to the truth. I speak to you. If someone says to this mountain with great faith and having no doubt, mountain, be lifted up, thrown into the midst of the sea, and believes that what he says will happen, it will be done. This is the reason I urge you to boldly believe for whatever you ask for in prayer. Be convinced that you have received it, and it will be yours. And as a group, we've not been great at being convinced. We ask sometimes half-heartedly, or we ask out of an emotion, uh, and, and we get uh, discouraged, or the answer doesn't come, or something happens, and we, we find ourselves back on our haunches. We've stopped moving forward, we stop stopped moving, Period. And whatever scenario is going on in your mind, whatever lie is going on, telling you not it's too late, you've made too many mistakes, or you've just been left out. God loves everybody but you. I mean, it's just like, I know it's silly, but that's the little thing that's on our shoulder whispering in our ear sometimes. It doesn't matter what your age is. doesn't matter how, much, how smart you are, how much you know. That voice will come. It finds a way in. It may have, it probably found a way, a place to sit on your shoulder uh, when you were very young. And it begins. And boy, it's a stubborn mountain. But Jesus said, You can speak to it. Matter of fact, He said, You can be rid of it. Because there's nothing greater than telling something to be lifted up and thrown into the sea. Because it's big and it's deep and it's, you know, it's gone. So he speaks this to his disciples and he's very em- emphatic. If you boldly believe whatever you ask for. And um, I'm reminded of something in Matthew, Mark 9. Just back up a few. Um, this is accounts in several of the gospels, but we'll just use Mark since we're here close to it. And in chapter 9 of Mark, I'll get back there. And in verses 14, 14 through 29 is a, is a story here where a man has a, a son, I believe, that's, that's demon-possessed. And he, the disciples, they try to do what Jesus did. They tried to deliver this boy of this demon. And they're unsuccessful, and the man comes to Jesus... And he says, he goes, first thing I he said, I brought him to your disciples, but they couldn't do it. <laughs> There's a lot to that phrase. I mean, that comes up. That, that phrase is still alive, right? Okay. Yeah. Just saying. They were not strong enough. They tried, they they couldn't overcome this thing. This demon, this thing's, it's rough. It's got a hold of my son and it's trying to kill him. So many words. Jesus said to the crowd, "Why are you such a faithless people?" It's what sometimes Jesus' words seem so inappropriate, like "What? What's that?" You know. But he's going after the heart of something. Where's your faith? You know, and because he's watching, he sees a crowd looking on at this hopeless situation. Even the disciples couldn't get rid of you know, couldn't deal with this demon, and they got you get used to dealing with demons. Do you get used to dealing with demons? In verse 20, um, I believe it's, yeah. So they brought him to Jesus as soon as the demons saw him. It threw the boy into convictions, convulsions. He fell to the ground, rolling around, foaming at the mouth. Not a pretty picture. Jesus turned to the father and asked, how long has your son been tormented like this? Since childhood, he replied, it tries over and over to kill him by throwing him into the fire or water, but please, if you're able to do something, anything, have compassion on us and help us. Jesus said to him, what do you mean if? If you are able to believe, if you are able to believe all things are possible to the believer. When he heard this, the boy's father cried out with tears, saying, I do believe, Lord, help my little faith. Now when Jesus saw that the crowd was quickly growing larger, he commanded the demon, saying, Deaf and mute spirit, I command you to come out of him and never enter him again. Okay, that's cool. That's Jesus. But the question still remains, why couldn't the disciples do that? Which they're still bothered by this, which they should be. We should be. The demon shrieked through the boy, and the terrible seizures finally came out of him. As the boy lay there, looking into like a corpse, everyone thought he was dead. But Jesus stooped down, quietly took his hand, raised him up to his feet, and he stood there completely set free. Afterwards, when Jesus arrived at the house, his disciples asked him in private, hey, 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 you know, he gets in the door and, hey, we got got to talk to you about something, you know? That conversation. Why couldn't we cast the demon out? He answered them this simple thing. This type of powerful spirit can only be cast out by prayer and fasting. Now, I'm actually not going to talk about prayer and fasting. But the point is, the point is that you can. Jesus was already in that state. And the subject of fasting... How does it well, We know it works. How does it work? Is it still for today? Yes, it is. And sometimes I fast and things happen, and sometimes I fast and things don't happen. so it's it's a mystery. I'll just I like saying that about things I don't really understand. And um, but I did have a revelation a little while back that one of the elements about prayer and fasting is that you don't just jump into a situation. You take a couple steps back and you seek the Lord and it looks like you not talking all the time but you asking a question or saying something and sitting and waiting for answers and asking for direction. So one of the things that happens to us as believers, again, I'm not going into the subject too deep. I probably couldn't anyways, is is that we've got to stop presuming we know. We're always looking for formulas, aren't we? We're just bad for that. And we're frustrated once we think we have it figured out that somebody comes along and doesn't even do what we did and like, what's up? They didn't fast, right? Or how did, how did that happen to them? I'm over here suffering for Jesus and thrashing around and getting bad looks on my face and screaming trying to squish out something in the spirit, squeeze out something, you know? I mean, we sometimes put ourselves in some real agony. Jesus has to just be laughing at us sometimes. But I, I appreciate it. You're <laughs> I know you're trying, Rick. You're trying really hard. But it's about, for sure, this absolute dependence on him following the Spirit. Jesus in the situation, he knew exactly what to say, didn't he? He didn't have to stop in prayer, but he was already, it was his life. He did this one fast. Deals with the devil, the whole nine yards, you know, that was a fast. That was a fast. Boy, I'm glad I've never had a fast like that. At the end of that fast, Jesus was spent. As a matter of fact, he was so weakened that angels had to come and minister to him. Now, I've definitely never been in that, you know, that far spent, that, you know, in seeking the Lord and waiting and praying, fasting, you know. I've complained that I was going to die, but I wasn't even close to it, Okay. And in that, his prayer, and his fasting, he broke into something, even as the Son of God. He passed a test that we can't. How do you comprehend the Son of God was tempted? Does that fit in your theological box? But the Word says he was. Like, hmm. I know you threatened to put a big hurt on me, you know. Waterboard me or whatever. You know, I'm going to really have some second thoughts about how I'm going to answer something. I mean, we all have our threshold where we can't endure past that point. Somehow, what he went through in that desert, in that wilderness, in that fast, he, he did break through. But my point is, that I want to go after today is we've got to get this fortitude about us. And a lot of it comes from, number one, believing that you are who Jesus says you are, believing through promises that you have favor, believe that you're called, that you're chosen, regardless of your faults and your shortcomings and your struggles, believing that God's bigger than all of your frailties, Because you're not going to be the first or last person with faults that God used anyways. I mean, the Bible's full of them. You don't fail a whole lot worse than to laugh at God when he gives you a promise like Sarah did. That was like, I'm sure the sun stood still for maybe just a moment. Not recorded, but it's it's like, I didn't laugh. Oh, but you did laugh. But that's okay, Sarah. I'm bigger than you. And it will happen, and I'll be back in a year, and you'll have a child. God had the last laugh. He's bigger than us. It's great. It's wonderful. And the biggest thing is, you run into something, we've got to get this thing about us where we just we fight. If the enemy can get you to stop fighting, stop pressing forward, he's got you. You're dead. That's all he has to do. He doesn't have to take you out. Just get your forward momentum to stop. Just get you to doubt. Just get your countenance to drop and fall down. Get you to lose faith, forsake faith. Just get you to do that. And we can spend, we all have our bad testimonies, our stories we don't like to talk about, the seasons where we lost heart. Life got extremely tough and hard, or you felt extremely just left, forsaken, lost your vision, lost your purpose, don't know what, you know. And, and it's hard to come out of that. It's, it's a real battle. It's a real struggle. When the lifeblood and the Spirit is flowing in you, don't take it for granted. It's like, run. <laughs> run when you have that and, and do everything you can to stay in the peace of God and the Spirit of God, I I have just I have it on my heart. I always have to go back here. Go, back. By, Oops, by choice. Um, I'd gotten this book, and the reason I'm taking time to talk about this is called "The Miracle American Miracle" by uh, Michael Medved. I had not known of him before. <laughs> he read wrote the most awesome book about the providence of God over America since its inception. And uh, another author named Ned Ryan, <clears throat> spelled R-Y-U-N, um, he also read about, wrote about our republic and some things that were established. There was something unique about the founding of America that God himself ordained from the beginning even to the point he held it off for a while. Everybody was trying, once the, this land was discovered, everybody in, in Britain, many, many in Britain and in Europe, where, were like, there was, it was a thing to go establish a colony there uh, because there were resources here. Some of which was human. We hear about the blacks that were enslaved, very tragic. Do you know that the American Indians were also captured and enslaved? I miss that. Taken back to England, sometimes sold for twenty euros, you know, a piece. And and yet God in his sovereignty was working all of these things. When I just want to tell some stories, man. Like, it's so good. We also all know about the Mayflower, that little boat they come across on. Everything about the trip was hard, extremely hard, more hard, more difficult than I ever comprehended. And when they finally got here, they were 250 miles off course, they were north 250 miles. That's nothing in your car. That's a big deal in December on the East Coast. And the weather is not favorable at all. There was ice on the boat. You know you're having a bad day when there's ice on the boat. The trip took them, it took 66 days. I think it was supposed to take less than half of that time. So provisions were really low like they used up what they planned to have they were going to start a whole colony okay of uh 15 wives that were in these families by like past they got past that winter 13 of them let's see there were 15 there were eight must have been 18 15 died there were five left. Somehow the number was there were five of them left. Can you imagine us standing 15 of our women up, and, or a n- number of them up, and then have a large group set down? There's only five left of all that came. One woman gave birth to a child on, on the Mayflower coming over. Now, the Mayflower wasn't air-conditioned, probably wasn't heated either and they had to spend a lot of time below deck in the cargo area this I didn't know That was only four feet high and sometimes they'd stay there for days on end because the weather was so bad and they said that's where this woman gave birth in this very difficult place when they do show up they're they're not where they're supposed to be there in massachusetts they were headed for new york city manhattan which wasn't then. that's where they were supposed to be that's where they're chartered to be to get to this place they're all this distance in time it's in time they realize that it was the hand of god for them to go there because they came into this bay they have a little uh, boat that is called a Shalop, uh, some funny name. They can hold a certain amount of men and, you know, small, and they, they could travel from the main ship to get to the land. The weather was so bad, and they were in the midst of a storm trying to get, get to shore. They were going to leave and go down the coast just five or six days, but the weather was too bad. They had to turn around. They stayed there. And the wind and the waves and all of a sudden a wave caught this small boat I wish I could see the name I've highlighted it, but I don't see it right now and it took it in and put it right on a beach like boom, they're just there out of the water like they don't have they just can step out of the, out of the boat and get get on this land and in time they discover this there's unexplainable things that happened had been happening Many people would come uh, since Christopher Columbus, et cetera, starting colonies. Colonies would fail. Um, Down by the vacations, we go to Nags Head, inland from there, is the theater called The Lost Colony, and uh, somebody named Raleigh had tried to establish that colony. See, it took the providence of God for a colony to survive. That colony just disappeared. And uh, the man that that left, that came, and then he, had, he left. He left his granddaughter, his daughter. When he came back two years later, they were all gone. They are just gone. They don't even know what happened to them. So the Plymouth brethren get to the shore, and they begin to, to explore and look, and they realize, and they find a field, a clearing, where the trees have been cleared out And they start to realize this used to be a village or something and they find food stored they find all of these provision they find things and what had happened that several years before a plague had hit all of the Indian villages and uh, it's hard to know where to park this reality it's history and they had had all these settlements along the way. These were some of the very Indians that different traders would come in and capture Indians and take them back to England and Europe to enslave them. And so they realize, they find this food, and then they start to hear this. They're like, what happened to the people of this? Where where are these people? They're gone. And uh, they find out there was a plague that had just ended the year before. It had just ended. It was either smallpox or measles, something like that. But it was those things are very deadly if you're not immune at all. They just, boom, wipe out whole villages. The whole coast was just uh, full of uh, <clears throat> dead bodies. They had died from this plague. But it created a place for them to move into and then, right after they're there, you see the Thanksgiving stories in our history books on the Indians that are there. Well, an Indian walks up, funny story. You see this guy all of a sudden, he walks out of the uh, uh, the bush and they're like they get they're like get ready to defend themselves. and um, he's not well dressed. He's not dressed hardly at all, just barely, <laughs> just barely. And he walks up to them, and he says the funniest thing. He says, um, "I got to find where it's at. I'm sorry. You know when you're underlining these things, you go. I know exactly where this is at." He says, he says, he says, "I've got to find out who he is. I'm sorry." six days he calls the. oh yes he walks up to them, to this group of them he says, welcome Englishman in broken English they're like, what? and then he asks the question do you have beer? <laughs> now, that's funny for this Indian to ask that. It's really funny that the Puritans might have, you know, these are the, you know, they had beer. You know, do you have beer? We just ran out. Like, what, what? But that was the drink that they brought that would stay and be healthy because the it was hard to find high in water. it's like, wow, crazy. So this guy, this Indian befriends them, and they're uncomfortable with him. and So they start giving him gifts and do everything they can to get him to, uh, to leave. His name is um samoset he eventually leaves but he comes back with another indian whose name is squanto if you heard that name like that i have heard squanto had been captured as a 12 year old taken to europe enslaved captured he finally made his way back to his homeland and you'd think he would be really bitter at the English, but he came and he he helped them through that winter and the next spring, he taught them how to plant food, how to plant corn, how to do things. They didn't know what to do. If it wasn't for all these sovereign things like this that kept happening, they would not have made it. But this group had the blessing of God on it. like. God was working and saved them. That is our country. Other settlements failed. This one ends up prospering. It survives, and it begins to it begins to pros, prosper. So much, uh, so much history. One of the American uh, American, um, his name was. He was in Chicago and this would have been a couple hundred years after this. It was in 1893, so yeah, 200 years. He had written a book called A History of American Christianity. And he was pondering, he was looking and realized the effect of this happening right when it did because his his theory was that The Christianity that would have come to America from the English church before the time it did would have been very corrupt. It was at its height, it was just before this. It was at the height of bad. He writes this: the grandeur of human enterprise and achievement in the discovery of the Western Hemisphere has a less has a less claim on our admiration than that divine wisdom and controlling providence, which, for reasons now manifest, kept the secret hidden through so many millenniums in spite of continual chances of disclosure until the fullness of time." So there was a fullness of time for it to come. And the Puritans, they came. By a prodigy of divine providence, the secret of the ages have been kept from premature disclosure. If the discovery of America had been achieved four centuries or even a single century earlier, the Christianity to be transplanted to the Western world would have been that of the Church of Europe at its lowest stage of decadence. The period closing with the 15th century was that of the d- dense darkness that goes before the dawn. So. This lends to this issue of our struggle with timing and things delayed, and our whole nation was birthed in delay. Like Britain was early, England was er- was late in sending people here. The French had had settlements. The Spanish had settlements. All of these things threatened. It is an incredible sovereign miracle that we have this United States that goes from coast to coast. Do you understand at one point the whole center belonged to France? I think over 15 states. I understand right what I read. Napoleon Bonaparte had some authority. He gave it all to America. He was in this position to do that. We would have been so divided. We would have looked like a lot of the European countries that are all segmented and broken and, you know. And and so all of that was so sovereign. They could have easily gone all kinds of directions, yet there's a sovereignty of God to work it out. And everybody that was involved struggled. They had to endure. They had to press through all kinds of hardships, deaths and destruction and and sickness, disease, um, all kinds of things. But they had this fortitude in their spirit to overcome. Our whole nation is based on that. That is why I'll encourage you, I encourage everybody I talk to, do not despair about the condition of our nation. I know there's a lot of reason to despair, but don't give in to it. Believe in something bigger. Believe in providence. Um, George Washington, I mean, reading about him, he's, this was his theme, I, the providence of God. He goes, I trust more than that than anything. They couldn't kill the man. He had bullet holes in his jacket. Shot his head hat shot off. His horses killed out from under him. Two or three. I mean, one after another. Boom, boom, boom. He he was sent clear here to the Ohio Valley to check out a fort that the the French had to deliver them a message that we were going to contend for this area. They pretty much told him to pound sand. And so he leaves. He goes back down through this area. He has to cross the Monongahela in the winter, in December. Him and his, he's traveling now, just he got rid of everybody else so he could keep traveling through the winter. He has one other person with him. They make a raft out of a hatchet. I mean, that takes fortitude. Put it into the river so they get across this silly thing because it's got Big chunks of ice coming down through the river. Like, rivers are nasty looking when there's ice in the water. And it's, you know, they were hope thinking it would be frozen solid. Well, rivers don't freeze that easily. There's chunks of ice. They make this raft. They get on it. And George Washington falls off of the raft in that water. Like, oh. I mean, just the thoughts of falling in cold water just makes me like, <clears throat> And it's... Friend hangs on to him. He eventually gets back on the raft. They get on the other side. They survive that night somehow. And he continues to travel back to Virginia or wherever he was headed. On foot. Fortitude. But the favor of God was on this man. And just like Jesus, he had favor from God and man. And people noticed that George Washington had this kind of favor. And it began to be acknowledged. He was in his twenties, and people were calling him out and, and speaking his name. This man's gonna be a leader in our country. Twenty years later, he becomes president. Because of his, of his, he couldn't be killed. He just, even if he lost something, he still had this overcoming spirit, this, this way of leadership and this way of overcoming. There was just God was with him. And so many of the battles that they fought, they lost a lot, and yet somehow we won. And then the stories of those battles and the sovereign things, storms would happen, windstorms, rainstorms, thunder, lightning, all kinds of bizarre things would happen to change the whole course of a battle. It reads like the Bible. And when my point of sharing this is what, when I share that with you, Don't be in despair about our country right now. God's invested in this. He will see this through to the end. It is not over. There's a purpose, and it all comes out of this fact that there's a destiny. And um, I I have in this book by Ned Ryan, he he wrote out the... um, The Mayflower Compact. And this agreement was made on the Mayflower before they hit land. The pilgrims were intent upon advancing the kingdom of God in the new world and were determined to build their new lives according to the scriptures. This is why I believe this succeeded. I don't care who or what you look at in this nation right now, they need to be put on notice. The original design and purpose of our nation was to further the gospel. And you ain't bigger than that. I don't care what color you color your hair, what you call yourself. I don't, it doesn't matter. This thing is bigger than all that. There's a destiny. There's a purpose. When you're part of a purpose that's bigger than you, you can take great confidence in that. Like, yeah, it's not about me. This is about something that God ordained and purposed. Therefore, as soon as they had sighted Cape Cod from the deck of the Mayflower, the pilgrims drafted a covenant with each other entitled the Mayflower Compact. I've read this before, but it's so good. Having undertaken the glory of God, the document read, and for the advancement of the Christian faith, and the honor of our king and country, a voyage to plant a colony in America, we do by these presents solemnly and mutually in the presence of God and one another covenant and combine ourselves together into a civil body politic for our better ordering and preservation signed by the head of each household this agreement defined for each person in the company his proper relationship to god and his neighbor every member of the group stepped ashore already aware of his basic responsibilities as a citizen of the new american community Within 10 years, the pilgrims would be followed to America by the Puritans, whose vision of purifying the Church of England had never truly materialized in the face of the established church and the state's oppression. The Puritan emigration, which is in the span of a decade, 10 years, would number more than 20,000 people. That's fast growth for no airlines, store, you know not having any convenient way to get here. It prospered. It grew. Why? Because there was a covenant made that this was God's going to be God's land. And he even waited to bless the right people that would come with the right vision and make the right, right agreement with him. That's what our nation's in. And if those people could persevere through hardships, and death and anything else you could throw at them and still stayed fixed on, on the thing, on the vision, on the calling, on the destiny, then good grief, I think I can endure some difficulties, huh? This is, this is bigger than us. And you can. Lo- I want you to have faith for our nation because it's God called us. God wants us to overcome. He wants, he has a destiny for us to fulfill. And though enemies come to steal it, he's not done yet. That, that this is what George Washington, this is what he trusted in, the providence of God, not in his abilities, not in anything else. He trusted in the providence of God. And oh my goodness, I I never, I had no idea the extent of things and favor that was on him, what he, things he accomplished, the the quality of man that he was. He was very young. Wow, wow, wow. So take heart. In our struggles, take heart. Have a, a mountain that is stubborn to be removed. There's only one, there's only one recourse. Double down. Dig in, press harder until there's nothing left in you. You'll never but you'll never regret, regret pressing forward. You may regret if you quit. Sometimes that's all it's about is just get up today and take another step. Just move forward. You don't want to impress anybody. Just stay faithful in little things. Stay faithful to the Lord and believe, like, believe. Realize what's all around us on this calling, this destiny, and this purpose from God. It's, it's in our nation. It's definitely in you as a believer, definitely in our church. He's called us to overcome. He's called us to be, to, to be blessed and to, to accomplish the purpose for which we were originally designed Father, I just want to thank you for all that you do for us. And Lord, we want to cast off complaint, cast off any discouragement, looking at at situations. These stories of our history, they were full of lies. There were always reporters, always people saying things that were lies that wasn't the truth. You were the one that held the final decision. You were the one that held the final victory for yourself. And regardless of how things looked, for those that you blessed, they overcame, persevered, accomplished your purpose. And Lord, we also intend to overcome and to fulfill your purpose, your calling in our lives. In Jesus' name, amen.
1: I've been on this uh, journey over the past couple years, um, trying to trace back my uh, my family lineage, um, which has been really really cool. It's an adventure you can have on a on a cold wintry night, um, and it's it's not for everybody, but it's it's pretty neat. So so one of the things you quickly learn when you're when you're looking back throughout your own history is how how vast and expansive it can get right? So just, just looking at trying to figure out who your parents are, right? That's, that's pretty simple. So it's two to the first power. So that, that equals two, right? Everybody's got a mother and a father. Um, but if you go back just 10 generations in your lineage, what that is is it's two to the 10th power. And so that's 1,024 people, mothers and fathers that, that creates the blood that flows through you. So over a thousand people, right? And, and that just, that kind of just blows my mind all in itself. But <clears throat> so you start to look back and you can get, in some cases, six, to seven generations out. And usually there's a dead end about about that point. Uh, but if you're lucky enough in looking back, you can kind of tap into this um, and in my case, I found a couple a couple individuals of noble birth back over in England and even in Scotland. And it is just fascinating because it it all of a sudden it feels like you're on solid ground right because there's these individuals who and they are lords or or even ladies, dukes uh, and sirs who, <clears throat> who there's entire articles on, and you can really get an understanding of who they were and where they lived. There's this solid ground, so it really removes a lot of the doubts. Um, and so so to tie this back to today, um, what I have now is a new appreciation for the lineage from Jesus that's in Matthew 1. So, you know, it's the, it's the verse that we kind of all skip over, right? Because it's who begat who. Um, but it's I now know why that's in there. I it's it's I have a firm belief in my heart um, because now there's this connection of of Jesus back to David the King. So there's this royal blood that that flowed all the way to Jesus. And so he's not only King of heaven, but he's king of the earth as well. And it really removed any doubt in my heart um, that that who he, he is, who he says he is. And so I just wanted to release that word today. In fact, I felt I was, I was to release this word of, it's okay to use your doubts against your doubts. Yeah. So Father, give us revelation. There's power in doubt, right? So why can't we just doubt our doubts and trust in you King of heaven and king of earth. Jesus, we just invite you in today as we take communion. And just give us new revelation of who you are. And who you've called us to be. Father, we come before you. And we desire relationship with this king. Who is who he says he is. Thank you, Jesus. Amen.